Thank you, Stephen. And uh, the offering that we are about to take up right now is actually our general, our normal offering that we take up every week um, to continue the ministry of Sunnybrook from Sunnybrook. But uh, we're going to be taking up another one at the very end of the service. So this is not our Stillwater Cares one. It's going to be, that one's going to be later on. And I thought I would just use this time maybe to kind of teach you something that maybe you know, maybe you don't know. In the Bible, how many of you have heard the phrase tithes and offerings? How many of you have heard that? right? Tithes and offerings. Um, Some people actually think it's like the same thing. Tithes, you know, offerings. That's really not the way the Bible describes it. Um, In the Bible, in the Old Testament, particularly that phrase comes up over and over again, your tithes and your offerings. And biblically speaking, those are different things actually in the Old Testament. Um, That our tithes are those things that God required the children of Israel to give, to bring into the storehouse, to to give to to, to God and to the the people of Israel and would give them to the Levite priests. So those were the tithes. And then every once in a while there would be like special offerings that were necessary that that came up. And I love that model or that, uh, that, that, that way of looking at things, that in the end we don't, we don't give reluctantly. God doesn't give reluctantly to us. And so um, how many of you are really grateful when God gives you something over and above you ever imagined? I mean, how many of you just go, wow, that's awesome, I'm blessed. Yeah, we all do. That's, by the way, normal response. <laughs> normal, you don't need to feel bad about feeling um, overwhelmed and blessed. If you remember the hand that brings it, that's really what we need to do. And so we have our what we call our tithes that we give. And then every once in a while there are offerings. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that recognizes that and actually does that um, because it is so critical that we um, give back the way God gives to us. I so want to be someone who is like Jesus. And that means that when there is a need, we meet that need. We go after that need. We respond to that need. So that's what it looks like. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew 10 today. Um, and if you don't mind, I just got to do something real quick. Hey, Andrea, happy Mother's Day. Love you. So just want to tell you I appreciate you and being the mother of my children. All the stuff that's bad in them, that's my fault. So I'm sorry. Um, all the good stuff comes from you. So I really do. Love you, babe. Um, I had to do that because I haven't seen her yet today. So <laughs> we always, we do a lot of, uh, that's why I won't marry my kids. And I mean, like I won't be the one who is the pastor marrying my kids, is what I mean. Uh, so I, I literally uh, told my boys when they were little, I'm not going to be, I'm your dad, I'm not your pastor, and someone needs to sit with your mom to kind of help her through the rough times when you get married. And so I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be the dad in those moments. To which my kids went, sure, why do you think we'd even ask you? That was their response <laughs> back. But uh, sometimes I... Don't do a good job letting my wife know how much I appreciate her. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. I'll close my service with a bit of a Mother's Day um, challenge to all of us. But right now we are in Matthew chapter 10. Um, More than it's Mother's Day, it's Jesus Day. And he's the one that brings meaning to all of this. And so we'll be able to celebrate mothers because of what Jesus Christ has done and our understanding of that. But we are in a a complicated text, to be honest with you. So you can tell, um, hey, what do we wanna preach on Mother's Day? How about Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16, on persecution? Now, for those of you that are moms go, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, But this is where it lands. Um, And this is the message that I believe God wants us to hear today. And it comes to us with this kind of as the backdrop. God knows us so well designed us, made us. 
Even after the fall and the brokenness in the world, God knows us. Like God knows the directions that we take. He knows our propensity to to respond to adversity in certain ways. And I believe God is sovereign over all of this. He's in control. God's not somewhere in the universe going, oh no, I didn't think this was gonna happen. Now he knows this. And what God knows about us is that you and I, partly made in his image, or we are made in his image, it's been scarred, right, through the fall, but made in his image, we have this ability, and it's both a positive and a negative, we have this ability to adapt to our surroundings, to our circumstances. And, and part of that is, uh, I, I think, can be good. Like, like for example, um, this really, really comes home to me. If you were to ask what, what, uh, what event in human history really helped you understand this or see this or recognize this, it would actually be 9-11. That's my generation's kind of a big aha moment was 9-11. I remember pre-9-11 and I remember post-9-11. I remember even watching 9-11 and thinking things are gonna change. It's gonna be different because the world was a dangerous place, but my world was rather safe. But the world was a dangerous place, but it was there, not here. And there became here, and that kind of messed with my head a little bit. But we adapted. I mean, how many of you woke up this morning and just going, oh, 9-11? No, I mean, it's just, it's the new normal. Totally the new normal. And I remember traveling pre-9-11. I remember um, not having to take off my shoes, not having to take off my belt, right? I remember those days. I remember, this is how old I am now, I remember being able to walk all the way back to the gate to say goodbye to people, right? Like literally, <laughs> literally, the funny, here's the funny part, is they literally would say things like, did you pack your luggage? This is back in the day. Did you pack your luggage? Yes, promise, promise. You don't have any bad things in your luggage, do you? No, okay. I asked her, she said no, so we're good to go, right? Not anymore. Not after 9-11, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And so what's interesting is, is I remember at first going, oh yeah, this makes sense, I wanna be safe. We created a whole industry of security here in America because we wanna make sure that it's safe. So we did this. And now, I just walk into an airport and I'm already going, okay, where are my keys? Make sure they're in this. Okay, make sure I got nothing in my pockets. I, I wear like certain shoes if I don't want to have to, I'm gonna have to take the shoes off a couple of times, especially if I'm making a lot of connections. I, I've got it all planned out. So by, literally, as they're checking my ID and stuff, I've got my belt undone, I got my shoes off, literally carrying my shirt in my hand. I mean, I'm literally almost walking through. The, Mr. Johnson, we're fine with what you have now. You're good, right? I got my, my laptop out in a separate bin. I've got everything that's like a... a, a Liquid, I've got it in a separate bag, and I know the kind of bag. I mean, I, I've just adapted. And, I, and by the way, that's just normal. It's not like a shock. It's, it's, it's honestly, now it's not even really an inconvenience. It's just, it's just the way it is, right? It's the way that we, we live. And I think there can be a good thing about that, about adapting, because what I don't want is I don't want a bunch of people going, ah, oh, do I have to take my shoes off? Why do I have to take my shoes off? I don't want to take, like if that happened when you were in the line at the airport, would you just not say, Hey, dude, don't fly then. But we gotta move, and we don't want you. We don't want everyone arguing with the TSA agent. No, like get used to it, right? Like adapt. And we do. We adapt. So, so here's the weight of, of the of the situation. W e i g h t. Here's the weight of the situation: is that in our broken world, something is a is a is a gift or is grace that we learn to adapt so we don't get stuck. 
But also there's like a, a, a danger of adapting because then we, we, we begin to believe like this is the normal way things should be. How many of you remember, um, and this was a big deal for me back being a child of the both 70s and 80s, how many of you remember when Kramer, and Kramer versus Kramer came out? Right? I don't know if you heard. I hate even saying this in the church, but there's a new movie that's out, and it's about, um, okay, buckle up, divorce. It's about divorce. Ugh. Controversial. It's about like a husband and a wife and they can't make it work. And I know we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't see this in our TV shows. Like I've heard it happens. Everybody's shocked. Do you guys remember the shock of Kramer versus Kramer? Any shock today with that? There's a lot of shows that are out there, ones that you probably should not be watching, that we should not be watching and like divorce isn't the big controversial piece. So what did we do? We just adapted. Like, just get used to it. That is so part of life now. And how many of you realize, like, it's, it's, there really is a sense in which it's good that we have recognized that it really is a part of life. And, it's, and again, I care way more about what the church does than what the world does, okay? And I have no problem being honest and let's recognize, like, the church got a lot of things wrong in our past. And we need to repent. We, we, need, to, we need to follow what the Bible teaches. We need to follow where the Holy Spirit leads. It's good for us to recognize that in the past, in order for us to deal with sin, we knew how to label, we knew how to stereotype, we knew how to ostracize, not all Christians, but it's true, that was the way to do it. You're divorced, okay, go sit over there. We got a divorce section for you. And it really was, it was, it was painful and it was difficult. That's, that's, by the way, not the Bible. You don't get that from the Bible, actually, to be honest with you. You don't get that from the Bible. So I don't want that, but I don't, I don't know if I wanna just say, oh yeah, this is normal. Like, this is natural. Like, just accept it. Sweet. Jim Johnson, water and electricity. I've said this before. Jim Johnson, water and electricity, all do what? Follow the path of least resistance. I don't like going against the grain. I, I can't even shave this way. You know what I mean? Like, I gotta go with the flow. It's just the way I'm made. Well, the way I'm broken, probably not the way I'm made, but the way I'm broken. And Jesus is now speaking to his disciples beginning in verse 16 and he's wanting to let them know, hey, enemies are real. Like there are, there's adversity out there and I want you to adapt and not adapt. I want you to be aware of this, I want you to respond to this, but I want you to respond to this in a way that is, it is co. Um, it is consistent with the gospel message, which is what really speaks again to us today, which is this. Yes, there is adversity. So we don't need to be like, oh no, I can't believe there's adversity. No, there is adversity, but you do realize that when we talk about the cost of discipleship or the, the cost of following Jesus, it's not because Jesus invented some really difficult program where only the most spiritual of the most spiritual can be a part of it. He didn't create like spiritual ninjas, Green berets for Jesus. No, like Jesus made normal people like you and I so radically obedient to him and so faithful and committed to him that when they stand up in the culture and just be normal, redeemed, and being restored people, 
The culture around it doesn't get it. It doesn't know what to do with them and it only knows how to brush against them, knock them over and try to get them to turn around and go with them. So Jesus says, beginning in verse 16, behold, I am sending you. That's that word apostle. So Jesus is putting them in harm's way. So listen, would Jesus ever put you in harm's way? What's the answer? Do you know that? It's why when I meet people, well, you know, I know Jesus would want me to do that. I heard it's dangerous. Jesus is always putting his people in dangerous places. I remember one of the times, you know, our high school, went, our high school group went down to Mexico and I was talking to a bunch of kids and I was asking them, hey, because it's always scarier the, without going, right? Just hearing about what happens in Mexico, it's always, it's like, Sergio, how did you ever live there? How did you ever live there? He just lived there, right? It's called home to him. Well, not anymore, but it was called home to him. And so we go down there and I'm talking to these high school students and I said, remember when you came across, like when they first come across the border, they're just like this. Like, I think I might die now. No, now, Right? And so I asked them, I said, hey, it's really not that scary, is it? It's kind of like Texas, which is scary, but it's a different kind of scary. And so I said, like, are you still nervous about it? And then one girl said to me, she said, well, you know what? Honestly, I wouldn't have been so nervous if my parents weren't freaking out all the time about me coming down here. Like, she had to be taught how to freak out. She really did. Let me teach you why you need to be afraid. And by the way, some of you right now are thinking, yeah, but some of that's wisdom. Sure, I hear you. And some of it's just called fear. And some of it is a wrong belief that I would never be in harm's way. God would never do that to his children. I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. You're sheep, and I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. See, I call that bad parenting. Jesus calls it being a faithful Lord. So you, need to, you just need to wrestle with this, which by the way, hear me, I'm not advocating like irresponsible, mindless danger for the sake of danger. No, danger for the sake of mission. There's a difference. It's not danger for the sake of danger. We're not here to prove anything. We're here to be faithful to his leading, okay? That's what the Bible is stressing here. And I, I love this. So I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. How do you do that? Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I, I know how to be a wise guy. I, I know how to be naive. Yeah, I know. Both of those are wrong. It's not about being cynical. It's not about even being skeptical. It is about being like discerning. I want you to be as wise as a serpent and yet at the same time keep all of your innocence. And now that's the art of parenting. How do I teach our kids to be wise and yet innocent where they never become hard or hardened but they're very aware of their circumstances. I, one of the texts that I use in my own mind for this is Jesus and John's gospel where Jesus, uh, John is recording it, and John records that Jesus would not put his trust in people because he knew them. He knew their hearts. So I love that. I love that idea. Jesus does not believe in you. Do you know that? Happy Mother's Day. Like, I know your mom does, but Jesus doesn't. Why? Because he knows your heart. That sounds so harsh. No, it's called wisdom. Like Jesus does not, he knows, he knows the, way that, the way that we would go without him. 
And tell me, has Jesus ever been wrong with you? Jesus said you're gonna be selfish. Jesus knows in terms of just your propensity for finding the path of least. Jesus knows all of those things. So that's, uh, that's, I'm embarrassed by that. Here's what I love. And yet he is so, like he is so caring for me. Like he doesn't believe in me and yet he still loves me. He doesn't believe in me and therefore he dies for me. You see the difference? I want us to be incredibly wise about the ways of this world and how broken it is and be very honest and real with how rebellious and messed up we honestly are. We are, before we ever go out into the world as ambassadors, let's recognize we got some issues. We're gonna be wise as serpents and yet we're never going to let it so pollute our heart that we become like skeptical or cynical or mean-spirited, we're not, we're gonna be vulnerable still. And I would even argue that the more that we really know God's love and know God's forgiveness and know God's caring for us, that we're allowed to be vulnerable in a place where we could get hurt. That's why, you know, in a, in a real kind of physical world, when our family started going down to Mexico, Andrew and I had some conversations and like, we don't know where this is gonna go. Like, I don't know where this is gonna lead and we're okay with that, right, babe? Yeah, we're okay with that, good. Just want to make sure we're going to trust God in this. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves, Jesus says in verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you. Those are rather painful things. In their synagogues, you'll be dragged away before governors and kings for my name's sake. It looks like Jesus is talking about what's going to happen now and in the future to them. So by the way, this isn't just all Acts 2 material. No, Jesus is literally in Matthew 10 sending them out. So this is what it looks like and you will face adversity. And in the end, like the rest of your life is going to also be filled with adversity. So get used to it. Like I remember thinking, oh, I just can't wait to, I can't wait to get out of junior high so all the peer pressure will just leave me alone. <laughs> right? I just can't wait to get out of high school so that I can just be my own person and I won't have to deal with peer pressure. I just can't wait till I get out of college so that I, right? When did you, when did you give up on that idea? When did you just go, and this is my concern, is a bunch of us just, well, I'll figure out how to adapt. What are the Joneses driving? My apologies for the Joneses. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles and when they deliver you, this is kind of like a, a handing you over for adversity, for persecution. When they deliver uh, you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says, hey, by the way, it's gonna be a real, you're gonna be flogged, you're gonna be persecuted. Um, they're gonna do terrible things to you. Don't be anxious. Why, why, why wanna be anxious? And notice what Jesus' response here. Our only way, this is my concern for us as a, as a people, okay? It's the downside of living in this wonderfully free country, which I'm, by the way, I'm grateful for. And I'm also weaker for that. Because this is, there's, I, there's my way of, of um, dealing with adversity is that if things are pushing against me this way, all I need to do is just kind of get, you know, as thin as possible, right? Like if this is the way the wind's coming, just do this, right? Because this is kind of hard, so I'm just gonna do this. I'm just only gonna walk downhill. I'm not gonna walk uphill. Uphill's so hard. I'm just gonna keep moving downhill. 
So that's a response that we have. And Jesus is speaking to them and he is reminding them, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to recognize me in those situations. So he describes what's going to happen. So don't be anxious for I will be with you. Look at verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And and here is what you and I do. When I, when I talk with brothers and sisters in Christ, and I, I know how they feel, because it, it has been, it's less me, but it's still me, that when I get put in situations, my, my, here's my plan. I'm going to know everything I need to know. Kind of like a job interview, I'm gonna know everything, I'm gonna be as prepared as possible, and I'm gonna limit my conversations so that I can look good or be effective in those situations. And so I'm not really trying to seek complicated situations. I'm not even, I don't want to have a complicated conversation with you because I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to avoid you, right? Because I don't know if I can trust that God is going to, and I know he says he's going to be there for me, but like I've been in those situations and it's just awkward. And so what I have done is instead of trusting that the Holy Spirit will come and speak in those situations, I am just figuring out ways to reduce those situations. I hear that all the time. Yeah, I, I would talk to my friends, but I don't know what to say. Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ will give you the words? And this is, I don't want to tell you what I really think. And I'm just grateful for times where uh, I didn't even have an opportunity to think about it. I'm just in a Hindu temple and it just happens. I'm in a mosque and it just happens. I'm at my kid's baseball game and it just happens. I'm just mowing my grass and it just happens. And God has been incredibly faithful to teach me to depend on him in those kinds of circumstances. So let me tell you, even even though you won't be probably dragged out of a synagogue and flogged, do not try to manage conversations and circumstances because you're not prepared. Because then all you ever really experience is the joy of you being prepared and you being confident in your preparedness. And sometimes it's really, really, really awesome to just see God provide. So don't try to provide for yourself all the time, but experience the joy of God providing for you because he will. Why? Because verse 21, this is how complicated it gets. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, now, here's where it's really, really clear. I know a lot of people, it's even my tendency to go, I'm being persecuted. It's being, some people are mistreating me and it's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're a jerk. Like truthfully. Like that's actually you. Like don't blame Jesus for that one. That's you. I ask this all the time. Like God, give me a level of discernment so I can tell like where it's my attitude that came across in that message that was repulsive. And when it was the message. God, humble me. Give me the confidence because I still have to talk. But God, rebuke me when I need to be rebuked. Like, see if there's a wicked way in me and clean that up. So Jesus is talking to these disciples and he's not saying, hey, you get to do whatever you want and just kind of blame me for the product. No, Jesus actually says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And I think it's good for us as a church 
to ask that question is the rub in our culture that is going against us, is it because of us or is it because of Jesus in us? And where it's us, we need to repent. We need to be really humble about, that's just me, and I, I apologize. Please be patient with me. I'm trying to let Christ shine through me. And sometimes it happens, and sometimes it's really hard to see it. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are you when people mistreat you and people persecute you for my name's sake. He says the same thing here. And then he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now I need to say this. Before the Son of Man comes, you won't even get through all of Israel until the Son of Man comes. The, the idea of the Son of Man, which is Jesus, the idea of God coming or God's judgment coming is not just end times. That's, we've gone, gone end times crazy in the last 150 to 200 years. But the idea of God, I promise you, God is coming, okay? So I promise you that. God is coming. First service, thunder happened at that moment. It was, yeah, that's just the speakers, but thunder... <laughs> Thunder honestly happened in first service. It was awesome. You should have been here. That's what happens when you don't come, when you don't wake up early for Jesus. It's what you miss. So uh, Brian did that last one, but God did the first one. It was awesome. Anyway, listen, Jesus is coming, but Jesus comes in a number of ways. He comes in judgment. He comes to provide peace and security. We've got a very Jesus coming back, us going to heaven idea. The Bible's got a much broader spectrum of this. And I think what Jesus is describing here is, you won't get through all the towns of Israel before I come in power. And I think it's talking Acts 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit. The power of the church. I believe that's what Jesus, and you can follow this phrase through Matthew's gospel and see where he is described in this way of coming. This generation will not die before the Son of Man comes. It's not end times, the final coming of Jesus, but in the Old Testament, God promises, I'm gonna come to you. Sometimes it's in judgment and sometimes it's in peace. So Jesus says, you won't even get through all of this and truly I will come. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul or the devil, evil, which that's what they called Jesus, how much more will they malign those of his household? Which means, and I, I, I fully expect this, I'm not, trying to be even prophetic in this sense, but I expect as culture shifts and as there seems to be, as we preached last fall, this, this idea of winter, this idea of the Christian culture as we remain true to the Bible and true to the gospel, there's going to be a distinct difference between us. And I expect to be maligned. I expect us to be maligned. I just wanna make sure that they're maligning us and it's either false they said these things and that's really not true about us, they're just lying about us. Or they're maligning us and it is true, but they don't understand. You know, those Christians, they're so narrow-minded. That's really not true, but I think I know what you're saying. They're homophobic, they're bigots, they're chauvinists, they're whatever it is. I hear what you're saying and I'm not even here to argue with you, I'm here to explain to you, not just about narrow-mindedness, but about the narrow way. 
Like, I want you to understand that I, I deeply love those people and I'm willing to serve those people that act even contrary to the gospel. I'm here to love and care. For, I mean, that's, but they will malign us. Are you okay with that? Are you gonna take your ball and go home? No, it's time for the church to rise up, put on its big boy and big girl pants and deal with the adversity that's going to come and don't act like, I can't believe this is happening in America. Why? Why did you think this would never happen? And I'll tell you, this is what America has done in the past. Every nation does this, okay? But I'm talking to Americans. This is what happens. The reason how you don't deal with, why, why you don't feel adversity is you adjust, Okay? So this is what happened in like, sadly enough, with the issue of slavery. Christians in churches just decided to adjust. We can have slaves, what's wrong with slaves? I can be a chauvinist, why can't I be a chauvinist? I can be a feminist, why can't I be a feminist? I can be a, I mean you name it, we can be anything we wanna be and pretend it's the name of Jesus. The only way to do that though is to adjust. There's two ways to battle God. One is outside the church. There are real enemies against the church. The other way to battle God is inside the church by becoming a religious person and never give Jesus your heart and just kind of manage him from the inside. So beware of these things. Adversity will come and we're not going to adapt. Enemies are real. The beauty of the gospel is that God is even more real. Like God is more real. That's, I think, the issue of being a follower of Jesus is that I look around me and all of this seems very real. You people, all of you, most of you seem very real to me. And God is more real than you. Like God is more real than, than, than anything else in this room. God is more real than what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. God is more real. That's what the Bible challenges us to believe, that God is more real than what we trust the most. And that's why Jesus says, so have no fear, verse 26. For have no fear of them, these enemies, the adversity. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So God sees it all and he's gonna take care of it all. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. That kind of even describes that, shh, let's pretend we're Christians. Let's be, let's just, hey, and Jesus even did this in his ministry. He said some things privately, but a day is coming where I want you to proclaim it to everybody. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell, which is what? It is all about the greatest um, understanding of what to properly fear. And I am to fear, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So not the kind of fear that paralyzes us and not the kind of fear that makes us afraid of God that we can't move, but the kind of fear that says, I will respect and obey and honor you and not worry about what everybody else is thinking, doing, feeling, saying around me. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to trust him and therefore fear him in the reverent sense is what God desires for us. Because look at verse 29, just how knowing God is. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Meaning God sees the sparrow that falls. But even 
the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Underline verse 33, if you only got a one-dimensional view of God. God will always acknowledge me. Well, verse 33 says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, that's a real verse. I didn't make that up. You got it in your Bible too. And therefore, in the midst of adversity, we still remain faithful and we confess. That word to confess is not just our sin, but to confess our allegiance to Jesus. Like consistently confessing our allegiance to Jesus, that our life would model a life of love and a life of, a life of forgiving, a life of hope in light of who Jesus Christ is, that my confession is true and it matches my life. And so what I say and what I do are, they're, they're integrated, they're one. And Jesus says, I want you to know that I will take care of you. And God sees, he knows how many hairs on your head, even if you shave them all off, he knows how many would be there. Okay? Even if it's a different color, he can still see you. Okay? God cares for you. And Jesus wants you to realize that as real as the opposition and as real as the temptation to, to bend and to twist, God is more real than that. And he is perfectly aware of your circumstances. Isn't that amazing? Like you're not a number to him. Like you're not part of the crowd. Like he sees you. He knows of your desire to fit in and it didn't just disappear after junior high. And he's promising for, to, to be there for you, not just for us, but for you in the midst of adversity and difficulties. Now, we don't like to talk about these things, but the Bible does. We, we don't like to, th this is a real awkward statement because whenever we talk about Christmas, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? That's Luke's gospel, describes that. The angel comes, Jesus is here and it's wonderful peace. Verse 34 of Matthew 10, we don't like to talk about this. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. But the angel told me you were. Sure, and by the way, I'm not here to argue with an angel. But I'm here to say that Jesus' words actually help qualify what that angel meant. Because if you heard the angel say, Jesus came to bring peace, and it's, it's, it's kind of, for those of you that know history, it's a Neville Chamberlain kind of peace. He was the prime minister of England who in 1939 proclaimed peace in our time because he asked the Germans if they had any intentions of attacking Poland and they swore they didn't. So he comes back and says, hey, good news, peace. It was a lie though. And so even when the angel says it, the kind of peace the angel is promising is not peace because there's no adversity. It's the kind of peace that comes with God. It's the kind of hope that comes with this new relationship with God. And in the meantime, there is a war that is waging around us. Do not think that I've come to bring this generic, empty peace, and if you have any adversity in your life, then you're doing something wrong, which is how most Christians deal with adversity. I'm having a problem, therefore I must be doing something wrong, and God's punishing me. Do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. That one hurts. Love my dad. And a daughter against her mother. 
Happy Mother's Day. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Yeah, that one makes sense. (laughs) Verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That's crazy. So you're telling me this adversity isn't just out there. It's like in the closest of relationships. And Jesus says, yes, I am that controversial. How did we water down Jesus so that everything would just be so, I don't get it. I just, literally when I hear people talk about this kind of, I just think, what are you reading? And Jesus isn't out to pick a fight. He's just out to change the world. And there are a lot of people that don't want to change. That's a real important issue. Enemies of his own household, whoever loves, this is it right here, look at this. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you believe him? I do. Like I believe him when he says that. One of, the, one of the most irresponsible, and I get the complexity of it, one of the most irresponsible things a person can say is, you know, they're my son and I've got to support them no matter what. You know, she's my daughter and I've got to support her no matter what. In which case, I just think, that's, that's like crazy talk. By the way, we don't do that usually when they're growing up. I've never met a parent that said, you know, my son really doesn't want to play any sports and I'm here to support him no matter what. No, you've got to learn teamwork. And I will take this whole family to hell before I don't let my son play sports. Right? And we don't seem to give them an option. Sports are mandatory in our culture. Right? I don't need to try and get a good grade on my ACT. I'm just a happy person. I want you to support my happiness. You are going to get a good score on your ACT. You understand me? We don't let kids choose what they want to eat. No, listen, we've got... How many of you grew up and got through your parenting thing? I'm just here to let my kids do whatever they want. I'm here to support them no matter what. No, sadly enough, when we use that terminology, it's not when it's important things like education and sports. Where we usually use that is in areas of supporting our children when they want to choose a sinful way to live. I know it's wrong and God hates it, but I've got to support my daughter no matter what. Like, I know this is evil and it brings shame upon God and his plans for the world, but you know, they're my kid. You know, that's my brother, that's my sister. He's my best friend. What am I supposed to do? Listen, it's it's not about being um, a contrary, it's not about picking fights, it's about being true to the gospel. And so I've always let my kids know from an early on age, my wife and I, I'm grateful we're on the same page, but. I've told my kids, I've told my brothers, I've told my sisters, I've told my parents. Like my, my, uh, my direction is set. And you choose to go in another direction, I love you, I care about you, I, I want you. But God is coming and he is gonna judge. And I'm not going to realign me so that I end up opposing God for the sake of you. You do realize that whenever you say, I'm going to support whatever, no matter what, then that is God. That's what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to realign, for their sake, I'm gonna realign everything for this. Whatever this is, is your God. Whatever you cannot imagine giving up, that is what you're saying, that is my God. Then I, I, I want you to first think about that. 
Because as far as I know, if Jesus doesn't come back, they'll put each of us in a box. That box most likely will be down right here. And then we'll see how your God can save you. Or actually what most likely will happen as well is your God will be down here. Right? And let's see what happens to you. Jesus makes it very clear. It's not that Jesus doesn't love fathers and mothers. It doesn't, it's not that Jesus doesn't love children. He does. He just knows our hearts and our propensity to fight against him and to stay in our brokenness and to excuse our sin. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to stand against this and I will be with you and give you strength through this. And what our families need and what our community needs is not for us to just support our children no matter what and to support our parents and our friends no matter what, but for us to support the way of Christ in the spirit of Christ promise we'll never wear like stupid banners on God's hating people it's just ridiculous but we'll still speak the truth in love like our way has already been set for us a way of love and a way of profound forgiveness a way of being vulnerable a way that it will cost us and we will remain faithful to the end Jesus says and I love this in the, whoever doesn't love me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Because Jesus knows this. Some will abandon the message. I just can't do it anymore. I mean, it's just too hard. It's too hard being, um, it, my, I, I gotta pick either between Jesus or my marriage. I, I, I gotta pick either between Jesus or my kids. And sadly enough, especially once the kids are out of high school, it's just easy to just pick family. I see it all the time. And Jesus says, that's not my way. Some abandon the message and then others just adjust the message. And both of those are not, op they're not Christian options. They're not biblical options. And lastly, I love this reminder. Not only does God see us, but Jesus ends this section, the final verses, to remind us that he is here to provide, are you ready for this? A reward. A reward's bad. I hear Christian people say this all the time. I feel kind of guilty I'm doing this because I want God to see it. Actually, that's the cool part. You can do anything you want to try to impress God. I don't know of an example in the Bible where that's, the problem is when you try to impress people. That's the problem. But when you try to please God, that's why Jesus says, when you give, give like secretly. When you pray, pray secretly so that God might see this and find great joy in this. See the beauty of it? See, God wants to reward his children. Do you like rewarding your kids? I love rewarding my kids. I'm proud of them at the time. I'm so excited about the choices that they're making. I love that. God loves that so much with you. And so in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of God sustaining us, here's a good use of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why don't you use it where that text means it, which is not like some baseball tournament, but it's actually really designed to do like tough ministry in the midst of opposition with not very many resources, but God's gonna give me the strength. Wow. And God is gonna give you the reward. Look at this, never forget this. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. 
So if someone receives me, they receive Jesus. And if they receive Jesus by receiving me, then they also receive God. And the one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, meaning the smallest thing, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Isn't that amazing? Like, and, and, I, and I want you to seek God's reward. Not the reward of men, not the reward of women, not the reward of the people around us, but the reward of God. So that's why it's kind of cool. So my, listen, it's, I can explain to you, this really doesn't contradict what I just said a few moments ago. So there's, my, there's our gift, Andrew and I's gift for the Stillwater Cares thing that we're about to take up. And I believe that God sees that sacrifice. God sees the sacrifice that I give in many areas of my life and God will reward me and that is a beautiful thing. Like that is a good thing for us to do. This is how we respond. Now again, I'm not saying and I will never, ever, 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 ever say that when I do this, God will give me 10 times that back. No, that's not what the Bible teaches so I'll never say that. But whatever God gives me for that, I just, I know it's good. And I know it's right. That whatever God does and when I'm in those difficult situations and I remain true to him, God sees that sacrifice. God knows those of you that are truly giving to Jesus everything and it is costing you because you have strained relationships. Don't find the path of least resistance. Like, like don't just take it back. Give it to him and trust God to be the one to reward you God is in the business of redeeming and restoring the world he has invited us to be a part of that he has given us the gospel message which will ultimately establish his kingdom don't try to water it down face it full on and experience the joy of God himself giving you the strength to be faithful Steve said this earlier we will be imperfectly faithful as we give and serve. That's true, we will be imperfectly faithful. And God, on the other hand, will be perfectly faithful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time and for our opportunity that we have to just hear your word spoken to us. God, may we faithfully, diligently, passionately commit ourselves to you and the obedience that we need to have to follow you. And so I thank you for that. And God, as we are about to collect up this offering, I just thank you for an opportunity that we have to give back and to care for our community. God, may we be a church that gives more than we take because that's the, the pattern of our God. God, may lives be changed both temporarily and eternally because of what we are about to do. We don't ask that because of us. We ask that because of you. You are that good in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask our servers to come down and uh, while they are coming down um, to kind of take up our offering, let me conclude with just a challenge to you guys on this wonderful Mother's Day. When I was, um, when I was a, and I, I was a young man, Craig, when I was a young man, um, I remember kind of using this a bit as an excuse. I'm busy, I really don't have time. I mean, I, I'll probably call my mom real quickly, but I'm telling you, call your mom today. Like, tell her how much you care. 
Because what was weird was, like, I would always try to understand, hey, mom, I need you to get the fact that I'm busy and I love you, but I I'm, I'm live lots of miles away, so please don't take this the wrong way, but I'm just really, really busy. And I just kind of thought that was normal, and then I had a wife with kids. And my kids started acting like me. I don't know how they got that, but they started acting like me. Mom, I love you. Don't take it the wrong way. Love you. And now all of a sudden, I'm, you better love your mother. Do you understand me? I want you to make your mother happy. You better make your mother the happiest mother in the world. Do you understand me? And my kids are looking at me. And as I'm doing this, because I'm really good at doing this to my kids, you better love your mother. And then God taps me on the shoulder. Seriously? It's just good for us to stop and to be grateful and thankful. Like, go out of your way. And I would even tell you, be creative in this. There are lots of mothers that are going through a difficult time because maybe they recently... Um, buried their mom, lost a child. Think of all the different things that are going on today. All the different people. I mean, t t for, for us, for the most part, it's Happy Mother's Day, isn't this sweet? But 1,200 people, there's a lot going on. And maybe one of the best things that you can do to be the hands and feet of Jesus today is to reach out and encourage an adopting parent. Or really try to be an encouragement to somebody who's lost someone. This can be a very difficult time as well. Whatever it is, just love and care for and be grateful. And also, I'll tell you this, this is not a small thing. Give thanks to the God of all mothers for just how kind he is in giving us them. Amen? Go love your mom. Have a great day. See you next Sunday.